Maryland Shakespeare Festival's Shakespeare Playground presents Tales from the Vomitorium, 38 short stories by Scott Kaiser. At Island Shakespeare Festival, our mission is to provide accessible classical theater realized for a contemporary audience. Tales from the Vomitorium is presented with special permission from Scott Kaiser and is made possible, in part, by support from our sponsors, the Goose Community Grocer, Goosefoot Community Fund, and Whidbey Telecom. Learn more at islandshakespearefest.org. On today's episode, Orion Schwalm will be reading... Oh, oh, wait. That's me. Alina, will you do my intro? Today, Orion Schwalm reads Just the Messenger by Scott Kaiser. Following the story, Orion will share his response. Then Scott and ISF Artistic Director Alina Hodges, me, will discuss Scott's inspiration for the story as well as his experience with the play from which the story is derived. We hope you enjoy. Just the Messenger by Scott Kaiser Read by Orion Schwamm Patricia was startled when the intercom buzzed from the lobby. She was expecting Mark, the man that she'd been dating for the last three months, to arrive today from L.A., and he had his own key. Who is it? asked Patricia, pushing the intercom button in the kitchen. Delivery, said the voice from the lobby. Come on up, she said, holding the button that unlocked the lobby door. She knew Mark was married when she got involved with him but he and his wife had serious marriage problems, and Mark was in the process of divorcing her. That's why he'd gone back to L.A. He was going to end things there so he could move back to New York, where he had just signed with a new bi-coastal talent agency. There was a knock on the door. Patricia opened the door to a smiling young man in a tuxedo. Singing telegram, he said brightly. Excuse me? asked Patricia in total disbelief. A singing telegram from Mark. Are you ready? Before she could answer, the young man started to beatbox a powerful 4-4 beat, then rapped. Ahem. Yo, I got a singing telegram from your boyfriend Mark. I'll sing it for you now like a robin or a lark. It's been fun spending time with you. We had a lot of yucks, a lot of delicious meals, and a lot of wild fucks. So let me say I'll miss you. Hope you have a nice life. But I gotta say it's over going back to my wife. You son of a bitch, Patricia said, striking the young man repeatedly with clenched fists. Please, lady, please, said the young man. She pushed him to the floor and started to kick him mercilessly. You mother-fucking son of a bitch! Don't hit me, lady. Don't hit me! The young man cried out. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a messenger! Get out! Shouted Patricia, stepping back as the messenger scrambled to his feet. She pushed the young man out into the corridor and slammed the door behind him. Then she let out. A primal scream. A horrific sound that could, without doubt, be heard for an entire city block. Finally, in a frenzy, 
she gathered all Mark's things and tossed them out the fourth-floor window onto the street. That was Just the Messenger, read by Orion Schwamm, recording from his home in Chico, California. You may remember his performance in ISF's 2018 season, especially as Feste in Twelfth Night. In 2019, Orion composed and arranged music and sound for ISF's world premiere, Inferno. And he's our engineer and composer on this podcast. Here are a few thoughts he had upon reading this story. Okay, hello. Hi, everyone. This is Orion, your friendly neighborhood editor. You might recognize me from the ad copy. And hi, I wanted to read you this story because I wanted to do a rap. And that's the main reason. Yay, okay. Once upon a time in... 2012 or so, I did my first Shakespeare play as an actor. It was Antony and Cleopatra, which is what this story is based on. And I believe that my friend Marcus played the messenger in the Antony and Cleopatra scene where the messenger kind of gets the crap beat out of him, which this is based on. And Marcus is a very good friend of mine, and he's a great actor, and he's very fun, very funny. Good guy all around. Uh, The production was in the Nevada Theater in Nevada City, California, which is a really kind of old theater, which hasn't had a lot of renovations. I think it's actually one of the oldest on the West Coast. I know that Mark Twain used to actually perform in it when he would do stand-up back in the year four or five hundred. That was a joke. I know Mark Twain didn't live in four hundred. He's still alive. Anyway, the theater itself was really interesting doing a show in it. Um, There wasn't a whole lot of like tech crew or tech. There wasn't like a fly system really available to us. So I remember there was like a a scene where Cleopatra was kind of up on this big wooden block that was denoting like a tower. And Antony was kind of on the the floor in front of the stage lip and we had just this pulley system rigged up over one of the pipes in the ceiling that had like a beer like a little wooden plank that we uh, four of us soldier people had to hoist Mark Antony onto which is hard because uh, my friend Jimmy McCammon who was playing Mark Antony was quite a beefy man Uh, and we had to pull him onto this and two of us had to stabilize and the other two had to yank the other side of the pulley just to like raise him up to the height of this tower block that Cleopatra was on. It was like a a, a suspension of disbelief moment made magical by absolutely rudimentary theater technology and magic. So, yeah, it's been pretty cool editing all these little stories. Let me tell you a little bit about how this is done. Okay, so... I get some raw audio, usually in WAV format, from the actors who have recorded it. I sit down in my little sound editing program and I 
plop the file in and it shows up as a bunch of little squiggly lines. And then I go in and look for every little mouth sound or unnecessary breath or weirdness. And I take it all, I'll take everything out that's like, um, um, uh, everything that sounds like that, I just cut it out so that everyone just kind of sounds a little bit smarter and less human. So my goal is to turn everyone into highly intellectual robots, and I think I'm doing a pretty okay job at that. For instance, uh, that sentence that I just said, when I actually said it, I paused a lot to think about what I was saying, and I said, um, uh, and I made a bunch of mouth noises, but you don't hear that because I took it out. You all think I'm so smart. No, I'm just fixed in post. For example, I said, I'm just fixed in post five different times until I got a take that I liked. And then I used that take. Anyway, I hope that you all are enjoying listening to this. And yeah, stay safe. Bake those quarantine cakes, quarantine bread. And um, I love you all. The Goosefoot Community Fund. Goosefoot works together with the South Whidbey community to create essential solutions. We address community needs, connect neighbors, grow local businesses, and preserve great places. Learn more at goosefoot.org. Thank you so much for listening to Tales from the Vomitorium, 38 short stories by Scott Kaiser. We've just heard Just the Messenger, read by Orion Schwamm. Scott is here with us to chat about the story and the inspiration behind it. Hi, Scott. Hi, Alina. Thank you so much for being here today, once again. <laughs> well, thank you for having me back. Um, I'm <laughs> really excited to talk to you about this story. Uh, I find it very delightful, the the um, singing telegram, so, so good. Um, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind this story, and uh, if this is based on any lived experience. Well, this one is not based on any lived experience. And, uh, <laughs> I have to say that uh, I was a little nervous writing it because I, I'm not even sure that singing telegrams still exist. Uh, <laughs> well, they did when I was in New York, for sure. So <laughs> it's, <laughs> that's been a decade. So I mean, I know, you know. it was something that uh, that musical theater actors would do for a living. Um, so, but uh, when I sat down to think about um, Antony and Cleopatra and uh, what might be the equivalent for this uh, messenger scene. The, this is the thing that I, I came up with, um, the idea of a, you know, a singing telegram to, uh, instead of, instead of the, the message that Cleopatra gets. So that, that's kind of where the idea came from. I, I don't, this is not coming from anything, any real event that happened to me or anybody else I know. <laughs> okay. Um, can you talk a little bit about the messenger scene and, and how, how this idea came about? Well, um, you know, in Antony and Cleopatra, um, uh, Antony has to go back to uh, leave uh, Alexandria and go back um, to uh, 
to Rome, where his uh, wife has died, Fulvia has died. Uh, while he's there, uh, he actually gets married. He marries um, the sister of Octavius, Caesar Octavius, not Caesar yet, um, whose name is Octavia. Um, and uh, when Cleopatra finds out, via a messenger um she is livid so uh that's where the story comes from uh, she doesn't hear it directly from antony uh, a messenger comes back from from rome with the news uh and it's funny because it's actually one of the um comic scenes very few comic scenes in antony and cleopatra it's a delightful scene especially if you have the right uh, messenger that you've cast some hapless messenger that gets you know beat on and abused by cleopatra it's it's a very rare moment of levity in an otherwise very dreary play is this where we get the saying don't kill the messenger uh, I believe so. I believe so. Uh, my best guess is that is where the saying comes from. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. <laughs> um, have you had the opportunity to work on Antony and Cleopatra much in your career? I, I have, actually. I've done it uh, a, few, a few times. Uh, the, um, the first time I did it was... Um, uh, in 93, very, very far back. It was on the Elizabethan stage. And uh, it was uh, was a really, you know, it's a very tough play to do outdoors, uh, all of those scenes. And I don't believe it was a particularly successful production, to be honest. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, there's a lot of very intimate scenes, some very intimate domestic scenes that you think would actually play better on film than on a large stage. And, you know, that big stage lends actors to play very, very, you know, large physical actions. And um, and sometimes it, it can really feel overblown, unfortunately. Um, I, I also uh, also did it in 2003 in um, the uh, the new theater. I think it was still the new theater at 03, not the Thomas. That was with uh, Judith Marie Bergen and Armando Duran. Uh, uh, Judith played Cleopatra. Armando played um, uh, Antony. And actually, that was probably one of my favorite productions of that play um, because it was a small cast and it was in a small space. So all of those little domestic scenes taking place in patios and bedrooms and on ships—you know—they really were lovely. They they were wonderful. So that that to me was probably one of my favorite productions that I worked on. Um, I think you may know that the festival did it again outdoors in 2015, another big sprawling production of it and a uh, huge cast. Uh, and uh, if you remember, it's such a, it's such a huge play. It's got 42 separate scenes in it. People say it's one of uh, Shakespeare's one, one of the most cinematic plays in, uh, in Shakespeare's canon because it takes place all over the Mediterranean, very hard to follow. And Bill Rausch, the director, actually had to put up a projection screen from scene to scene to remind the audience where the heck they were. Um, that's how hard it is to track all over the Mediterranean. Um, it's very, it can be a very confusing play. And the more you cut it and boil it down and double characters, the harder it is to, to track. It's, it really is a very challenging play in that regard. Um, and also... The thing about you know ANC is that it has that very very long slow downfall. I mean, Antony dies is maybe another forty five minutes to an hour left in the play, 
you know, you're waiting for, you know, that Cleopatra is going to end up dead as well. I mean, we all know that, you know, the snake story. So there's a long time waiting for the, after Anthony dies, the, the long, slow downfall of Cleopatra. Um, and it, uh, it's often uh, uh, very challenging to stage that last hour and keep audiences kind of uh, staying with the story. Um, uh, that 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 arc that arc that long slow downfall is a very very tricky arc to 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 stage. Why do you think there's so much text left in between? Um, you mean with Cleopatra dying? Yeah, yeah. Before it, between their deaths well, in that forty five minutes. That's a really interesting question. Um, you know, I, I, I do think um, like. You know, like other tragedies, uh, Lear in particular, that that uh, you know, watching the the mechanics of the downfall is is the story. Um, we, I think, in in our modern sensibilities, uh, I think we're less uh, attentive with that. You know, watching that long, slow downfall of a tragedy, we're we're much, I think, much used to arcs where um, where tragedy happens, we get a climax, and then there's a short wrap-up um, in movies in particular. I think the idea of this long, long, slow downfall of greatness is is, is far less um, familiar to us as American moviegoers in particular. Hmm. Yeah. Um, do you notice any major changes in how the play was approached in that first time you worked on it in 93? versus the what did you say early 2000s versus um, then 2015 right i mean 03 is when we did it in the new theater and then um, bill roush revived it in 2015 right um i don't know that i've seen a a change in the way it's been produced what what i see is frankly is is uh, the directors trying to solve the same problems uh, and with varying degrees of success uh, it, it, you know, it's a monster. It's, it's got two, not one, but two major battles in it that have to be dealt with. Um, and doing those battles with even, you know, even if you have large numbers of actors, it's still very hard to pull those battles off. One of those battles that they talk about endlessly is a sea battle, which of course, you know, <laughs> uh, that's, you know, that's really tricky. Um, and, uh, you know, the other really tricky thing with uh, Cleopatra is, uh, you know, casting someone who can really play that role with a sense of emotional authenticity, even though on the page there's a, there's a very, very, you know, large sense of scale animation. Um, and of course, you see this in the, in the film version, Cleopatra. I mean, even the film version with Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, she falls and in, fell into all the same traps of just playing things way too, you know, way too large. Um, you have the extra burden of people talking about Cleopatra and her quote infinite variety. So actresses are always pushing on the idea of you know finding infinite variety, and sometimes it can really feel overblown, not particularly human. Um, it, it's a very very hard play. Those leads are very hard to act, um, and uh, and uh, directors uh, often. Um, can't quite find the the, the scale um, that's that's right for the play. 
Uh, Anthony is, I think, maybe a little bit easier because you know he's 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 got, has so many human foibles that are attached to the role that uh, I think really give that role dimensionality, uh, real human dimensionality. Um, uh, Cleo is just a just a very very challenging uh, role, and uh, a lot of plays, excuse me, a lot of productions will will rise or fall on the strength of the casting of the Cleopatra. How do you think Shakespeare staged the sea battle? Um, well, of course, most of it is 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 talking about the sea battle um, after the fact. So, um, you know, I I don't actually know that that uh, it was staged at all. Um, but uh, uh, you know, it still is problematic because you have all these sailors running around, <laughs> and there is a scene that takes place on shipboard. Um, and, uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure that they use the, uh, the globe stage, you know, as the deck of a ship, that's pretty obvious. Um, most designers start to try to find a way to raise sails or create a mast or, or, <laughs> um, uh, you know, create a, a deck of some kind or another. Um, but if you move all that stuff on, you got to move it all off. Sure. And doesn't the language do so much of that for us anyway? Oh, absolutely. You know, leaning on the language is the main thing um, because, uh, you know, if you try to create these locations through scenery and that's, that's of course a problem because, uh, you know, like at OSF rolling on Cleopatra's bedroom and then rolling it back off, you know, it's, 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 and then over and over again, um, bringing that stuff on, it just slows everything down. Uh, I remember in 1993, for example, um, one of the ways that that production bogged down is, uh, there was a bunch of drummers up in the inner above. And every time the, uh, the director wanted to schlep stuff on stage, the, the drummers would drum, 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 drum. Um, and, uh, it became, you know, rather tedious, uh, to, to wait for scenery to come on, and, and, and wait for it to roll off. Every single one of those 42 transitions was burdened by uh, scene change music um, and, uh, and waiting around for stuff to get moved. And it, it, it ground to a halt. It was very unfortunate. Um, and I learned a lot from that mistake in that production. When I, when I direct myself, um, I've learned, you know, uh, do you really need it? Do you need it? Do you need it? Don't make the audience wait for that. Um, don't make them wait for that. Um, and uh, yeah, I learned that lesson in 93 because uh, our audiences, they got very tired. When that happens 42 times, <laughs> the first three or four is like probably fun and you can go along for that ride. But 42 is, that's a lot. That's a lot. It's a lot. There's a reason that Shakespeare used a unit set <laughs> and that everything is everything you need to imagine is in the language. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And as I say, uh, as you know, the, the long history of Oregon Shakespeare uh, is is riddled with these uh, these examples of just too much stuff. Yeah. You know, we were talking about um in Tea Cakes and Tarot, we were talking about the gender play, which is the play in development through that project. And um, we just were, Will and I were on a call before Aaron joined us and we were talking about the the set that they're imagining for that. And Will was like, I mean, partly it would be so fun to have it be this, you know, nightclub setting that's like fun and a party for everyone. But but we can create that with the language and isn't that more fun to let everyone imagine what that is for themselves and to put themselves in that, the party atmosphere in their brain in whatever way that looks for them, which I think 
you know, that's what Shakespeare is allowing all of us to do all the time. And and in that conversation, we said that's so much more Shakespearean to do that, you know. So much more Shakespearean. I have to yeah. say, you know, obviously the, the pandemic has been a misery for everybody and that it's been very hard on theaters. The one upside I, I can possibly see happening is that with, with smaller budgets, um, that a lot of Shakespeare theaters may decide they simply don't need um, as much of the trappings of production going forward because they simply can't afford it. And, uh, and we may see a revival of language-based theater for that reason. That, that's my hope. Mm, I love that. What a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you, Alina. We'll talk to you next week. Great. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Tales from the Vomitorium, 38 short stories by Scott Kaiser. Our thanks to our sound engineer and composer extraordinaire, Orion Michael Schwong. This episode was sponsored in part by Bob Hodges and Peggy Juvie, as well as the Goose Community Grocer, Goosefoot Community Fund, Whidbey Telecom, and by our listeners. Support us and learn more at islandshakespearefest.org.